0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. I am your host, Stephen Sakevich, of the Russian and Eurasia Studies channel. Konstantin Nikolaevich Leontiev lived from 1831 until 1891, which coincided with the golden age of Russian literature of the 19th century. Leontiev threw himself deeply into the fierce intellectual debates of his time, discussing the nature of topics ranging from ethics, art, Russia's proper place in the world, the historical rise and fall of civilizations, and the nature of religious faith. Although he remains an ignomatic figure to the English-speaking world today, he is a towering figure in his homeland. To discuss this multifaceted intellectual is my guest for this episode, Glenn Cronin, author of the book, Disenchanted Wanderer, The Apocalyptic Vision of Konstantin Leontiev, published by Cornell University Press. Glenn Cronin is a contributing author to Ideology in Russian Literature and holds a PhD in Russian Studies from the University of London. Uh, Glenn Cronin, uh, welcome to the New Books Network. Well, thank you, Stephen. Glad to be here. Yep. Uh, we usually like to start off with uh, asking the guests to explain their background and how did they get onto to this current project? Yes,
2: well, it's, uh, my background's a little unorthodox. I'm not a professional academic. Um, about 30 years ago, Uh, I was looking around for something to do as a PhD thesis, and my tutor at the time, Donald Rayfield, suggested Lyonchev. So I spent the next four years looking at him, uh, and I I successfully defended my PhD on him. Uh, At that time, there didn't seem to be an awful lot of appetite for, for a book, and I had other things to do anyway, so I let it lie. Um, And then not long ago, I realized that in the intervening period, there still hadn't been anything written about it very much. I mean, there are some small things. So um, I I thought I'd have a go at turning into a book, and that's the book you've got there.
0: (laughs) Now, why do you think there has been so little attention to Konstantin Leontiev in scholarship, especially in the English-speaking world?
2: Yeah, um, it's not so much there's little attention. It's been very sporadic. Um, you have to go back really to the 1920s to Nikolai Budyayev to get a, a really uh, in-depth analysis of his, of his work. I think there's probably a couple of reasons. Relatively little of his stuff has been translated into English, um, which, which makes it a little inaccessible, uh, apart from uh, dedicated Russian scholars. Um, and <clears throat> there's been a very welcome addition to, to that, actually. Lately, uh, Mr. K. Benoit has um, brought out a, a translation of Leontio's main work, Byzantium, and, Byzantinism, and Slavdom, which which should help. Um, of course, he was he, he he became a non-person in Soviet times as well. Um, and to be frank, his views may be a little difficult for some in the. Uh, in the Western liberal intelligentsia as well. So that, that may have played a role too. Um, but of course, since Perestroika, he's come very much back into focus in in, in, in Russia. And I hope now uh, in in the West as well.
0: That's very fascinating. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Berdaev. And I remember reading this book, uh, a phrase that he once said that one Leon, Leontiev uh, is almost worth like 100 professors, something to that effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: well i mean when you when you when you want to find out about, about the russian psyche um, yes i agree with that absolutely he's he's a very condensed um, course in, in russian psychology i suppose you could say
0: now before we begin about talking about uh, leontiev himself maybe we should kind of explain for our view, our listeners uh, kind of like the intellectual milieu of Russia in the mid-19th century, particularly like the Slavophiles and the Westernizers, which kind of form a lot of the background to uh, polit- uh thinking.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, <clears throat> this is the classic dichotomy in Russian thought um, since at least the time of Peter the Great and, and right up to now, because the... the The debates on Russia's position in the world, whether it's a Western country or an East or a mixture or whatever, um, are are really uh, lively and under Putin. Um, Of course, Peter the Great tried to drag Russia towards the West. He founded St. Petersburg as a window on the West, as he called it. Um, His his efforts were partly successful. I mean, the famous Peter Chadaev in the early 19th century. Um, said that this process should accelerate. Uh, this brought about a reaction among those Russians who believed that uh, uh, Russian culture should be somehow protected from dilution by Western ideas. Uh, the Slavophiles, as they became known, under people like Alexei Chomyskov, Ivan Kireevsky, and the Zakov brothers. Um, so you you had this this uh, tension in Russia between the westernizing camp and 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 the the pro-Slav camp, um, and it really is the, the central feature I think of 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 Russian thought throughout the nineteenth century, and as I say, right up to the present day.
0: Yeah, now you begin the book with uh, Leontiev's relationship with the famous Russian writer Ivan uh, Trnigev, and eventually this led him into an intellectual debate with Nikolai Chernyshevsky, who famously wrote the novel What is to be Done, which had a big influence on Russian thought, particularly on Lenin later on, decades later. Uh, can you can uh, explain this in further detail? Well, Leontiev very much admired Trnigev, but...
2: I don't think he was a particularly uh, formative influence on him as a writer. I think uh, people like Vissarion Belinsky, um, the, the famous Russian literary critic, and also Western writers like Georges Saint, um had, had a much greater influence on Tiev, who always had a strong aesthetic sensibility. There was a famous incident where his mother... Took him as a very young child to the monastery of Optina Pustin. And when they were leaving, Leontiev said he found it so beautiful um, that, please don't ever bring me here again, he said, or I might never leave. Um, so so he, he had this strong aesthetic uh, sensibility, and it came into conflict with the um, prevailing outlook in Russia, Russian letters at the time. Um, Epitomised by the magazine Sovremennik and its editor Chernyshevsky and later Dovlubov, um, whose view was that art had first and foremost um, to a moral duty to to highlight the uh, dis- insufficiencies in Russian society. Um, this didn't suit Leontiev's book at all, and he he he. he Use the example of Turgenev's book, On the Eve, to demonstrate, as he said, where Turgenev himself was falling down aesthetically by coming under the, the sway of, of the moralistic outlook. Uh, Turgenev never forgave him, actually, for that, uh, and he was quite um, cutting about the ability later on, um, partly justified, partly not, I think. But, um, yeah, that's the background to that.
0: Anyway. Yeah, and then uh, he kind of drops out of uh, university, uh, and then has serves uh, military service in the Crimean War. I believe in the medical core. Yes. And then afterwards, then he found work in the diplomatic corps, and he sent to the Ottoman Empire. And this kind of had a bit of an impact on him, both personally and also on his intellectual uh, views. Uh, Can you probably explain this in uh, further detail?
2: Yes. He he didn't actually drop out
0: of university. He
2: qualified as a doctor. Um, There was an exemption given because of the war that final year students could um, qualify without taking their final exams if they were prepared to serve in the army, which he did in the Crimea. Um, yes, and you're quite right. He then, he, he got a job in the diplomatic corps and was sent to European Turkey. Um, he was based in Constantinople, but he went, he traveled far and wide um, within the Ottoman Empire in Europe. It had a huge effect on him. It stimulated his aesthetic sensibilities enormously. And the product of this were a number of stories which he called his Greek stories, which were really about, well, they were called the life of Christians in Turkey at the time. Um, It also gave him the opportunity to try and live out his ideal of an aesthetic life. And that caused problems in the end, because I think um it caused huge moral conflicts within him which um eventually led to his religious crisis um it also produced an, a number of um of his best works in my opinion particularly two novels a husband's confession and two chosen women uh, which portray this conflicted personality quite um quite well i think but uh, I think I could say more when we talk about his religious crisis. If you like.
0: Yeah, I was just about to ask you about that. In 1871, he has a kind of a, a conversion experience. And you even begin the book in the introduction with this story. And I was so struck by that. I even sent, I even uh, took like pictures of the text and sent it to a friend. And It's like, yeah, you got to read this story. And then and I only did the first page. But then he's like, oh, I read this. So what happened next? And so I had to kind of fill in the details on the next page. But he's like, oh, man, that's so awesome. So. <laughs> But yeah, uh, perhaps you could uh, explain, explain it in more detail. But yeah, it was just, it was a real striking story. So I, I even had to share it with a friend. It's a very dramatic incident
2: indeed. And almost everybody who's ever written about Leon TFC has the great watershed in his life. Um, he thought he was dying. He thought he had cholera. It turned out not to be cholera. Actually, it was malaria. Um and then he he prayed he prayed to the virgin on on what he thought was his deathbed to come and cure him and miraculously she appeared to do that and um he said if he recovered he would go to athos the great monastic community near Salonika in greece and um become tonsured as a monk um which he did but the the monks on athos i think quite perceptibly realized that he wasn't really ready for that step, um, but he spent about 18 months there and um, he was a changed man afterwards. I think when he came out, he, he ceased writing novels really by and large and turned to uh, writing on social and political matters. Um, he, he also became devoted to a peculiarly severe form of aesthetic, uh, sorry, ascetic uh, orthodox faith. Uh, which would stay within to the end of his life.
0: Yeah, and you kind of briefly on the previous question talked about his aesthetic views and his world point. And this has often led him to be compared to the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. In fact, he's often been called the Russian Nietzsche. So maybe, and you do spend some time explaining like the similarities between the two, even though Leontiev's writings actually predate Nietzsche by several decades.
2: Yes, they do. Um... Yes, many commentators have picked up on this. Um, I I use the term in the book, convergent evolution. I mean, neither Leontiev nor nor, nor Nietzsche knew knew the other, and they developed their ideas completely independently of one another. Um, I think they were both both reacting to the way in which the 19th century was progressing, um, particularly... the the rise to dominance of a kind of utilitarian morality which they saw as levelling downwards. Um, And they reacted against this. I mean, in in his book, uh, A Place of One's Own, Leontiev talks about the the highly developed man um, as opposed to the undeveloped man. And it's very similar to what Nietzsche was saying about the Ubermensch, the 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 super sort, of Superman, as he's called. Um, I don't think. I think this pudding's been a bit overegged over the years, to be frank. Um, but um, it is such a striking uh, similarity that really nobody uh, writing about Leontiev can can overlook it. Um, of course, this view really didn't survive uh, the religious crisis, and uh, in fact, Leontier repented of, of, of this view later in his life. But it is, it is a striking thing.
0: Yeah, you kind of briefly also mentioned Kierkegaard, so it's almost like he went from being like a Nietzsche figure to becoming like uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish existentialist.
2: There's not really much of Kierkegaard there, actually. Um, the it's a it's a similarity of language uh, in later life. Leontia very much um, took the view that religion should be based on fear, the fear of God, um, or you could you could easily translate it as dread as well. Which of course makes one think of Kierkegaard's um, notion of dread as the natural um, relationship of man to the overwhelming um, power of God, Um, but apart from that similarity in language, I don't think there's an awful lot um, of of proximity to to Kierkegaard.
0: Now soon after, uh, a few years after his uh, conversion experience, he then retires from the diplomatic service, and then Leontiev begins uh, a series of political polemics with the pan-Slavists who want a united They're kind of a continuation of the Slavophiles, but they want like a whole unified Slavic state under Russian rule. And Leontiev is kind of building on his experiences in the Ottoman Empire and including the issue of the Bulgarian Orthodox Church to kind of counteract some of their arguments. And perhaps you can explain this in further detail.
2: Yeah, so... I mean, during the period in which Leontiev was uh, spending his well, 11 years in, in the Ottoman uh, Empire, the, the, uh, the cultural pan-Slavism of the older Slavophiles like Homiakov had transmuted slightly, well, a lot, into um, a political pan-Slavism, which, as you rightly say, aimed at uniting the Slavs under Russian hegemony. Um, Leontiev's concern, primarily concern, was, 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 was with Russian culture, and he, he felt, rightly, that he'd had much better opportunity to observe um, the peoples of European Turkey at first hand than the people he described as armchair theorists in St. Petersburg, or, or more likely in Moscow, actually. Um, and uh, he he, he, wanted to, he felt the Pan-Slavists were, were making a grave mistake in getting too close to the um, Western Slavs, the Bulgarians in particular, who Leontiev had observed, at least as far as their intelligentsia went, to be very, very um, imbued with the ideas of Western liberalism and democracy. And he feared that this could be transferred into Russia and it was something he didn't want to see and believed that the Pan-Slavists didn't want to see. And he thought, he he didn't uh, think that he was um, going against the Pan-Slavists, but he, he thought he had a duty to warn them of the danger that he, he felt they were running. Um, that uh, <clears throat> wasn't a very easy thing for him. Um, it got him into a lot of difficulties with, um, with the Pan-Slavists.
0: Yeah, and uh, another issue that got him into fierce uh debate with the pan Slavists was kind of like critiquing the idea of racial based nationalism which was kind of becoming very prominent in this time period in the later half of the 19th century uh we're most familiar with uh with like the german version of this but even the russians and the slavic pan Slavists had their own version of this whereas leontiev was not arguing about race but what he called ideas being at the heart of it like the orthodox christian faith for russia and uh personally when reading this i was almost reminded of lev gumilev's uh, concept of passionarity you know uh, almost a century later when he's studying the uh, nomads of uh, central asia in his concept of passionarity being at the heart of an ethnos and i was just wondering if you could expand on leontiev's uh views of racial nationalism and then also uh could you comment on whether or not that was an influence on Goumliev? Because you do mention him once in the introduction, I believe, as like part of his legacy, Leontiev's uh, legacy, that is. So,
2: Yes. Um, well, Leontiev spent 11 years in European Turkey. Uh, in, he, was, he was in Greece, in Bulgaria. These, these are in modern day terms, Greece, Bulgaria, Albania. Um, Albania. <clears throat> What he observed, of course, was that there was, there was no racial homogeneity there anyway because the Greeks, the Bulgars, the Albanians and the Turks are actually ethnically very different. And um, what, he, what, he, what he said was that um, just commonality of blood, um, which really the Russians only had with the Bulgars out of those four that I mentioned, um, he thought it was a very weak link, and he he put forward the notion that actually what would draw people much closer together would be their common faith, their common Eastern Orthodox faith, which at least the Greeks and the Bulgars shared with the Russians, although the Albanians were mostly Islamic and and, and Turks too. Um, so yes, he was very he, he was very definite that. Um, a a culture particularly if it's going to be a multinational culture has to have a central unifying idea and and he saw that in in the common Eastern Orthodox faith As to Gumilov, well Gumilov himself said that um, Leontiev was his preferred thinker of of all Russian thinkers Um, and certainly Leontiev held that the what he called the Turanian element, which is the Asiatic element in in the Russian makeup, was was very fruitful culturally, and um, it was natural, I think, for someone like Gumilov, who is very much a representative of the Neo-Turanian view of Russian culture, that he should he should look to Leontiev as as a, a
0: forerunner.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
0: So, yeah, and also in these polemics, particularly in, I believe, Byzantinism and Slavdom, which is one of his major works, he developed a uh, triune process of civilizations and, uh, Could you possibly uh, describe that in detail? And also you kind of make a comment about the influence of another Russian thinker, Pitram Sorokin, who later wrote uh, a multi-volume study of cultural and social dynamics, which was kind of based on a tripartite uh, dynamic between idealential, idealistic and sensate cultures. So uh, yeah. Could you elaborate on that?
2: Yes. Thanks for reminding me of Sorokin's uh denominations. Uh, Yes, that's quite right. Um, Yes, Leontiev looked at uh, the history of of cultures and uh, states, and he took the view that they all follow a similar pattern of development from an uh, original simplicity, um, which develops over time under the right conditions, into um, what he called a flowering complexity. This is very organic. This metaphor he develops, and um, but after after a time, as as a flower, um, it it um, withers, and um, the the culture <clears throat> is no longer able to sustain itself and uh, dies basically, and um, is replaced by another culture which is on the the process of developing. Um, Danielewski too, as no doubt you know, had a a very similar um, view of of this development. And it was a common thing in in an age dominated by Darwinian uh, thinking that um, societies could be seen to develop in these naturalistic terms. Sorokin is a very interesting, person, because he he made the most, as as you're probably aware, the most heroic effort to uh, demonstrate this process in um, extraordinary um, collection of um, examination of cultural icons, <coughs> which I frankly I, I scratched the surface of um, and and uh, and didn't get much further than that because it is so huge. And um, but uh, but very interesting. Uh, that uh, He of course was a Russian, uh, Pyotr Sorokin. He was actually Kerensky's secretary during the um, provisional government after the February Revolution. Before he fled to the West, he certainly knew of Leoniev. But it's it's as far as I could see, it's not possible to establish that. Um, there was a particular connection there. Though it is interesting that he does, as you say, use this tripartite uh, division in in much the same way that the did. I think it's. Um, I think we'll just have to leave it
0: there as an interesting example of um, of convergent thinking. Yeah. And just as we talked about uh, Nietzsche, in many ways, uh, this naturalistic uh, me- metaphor for the processes of civilization that even prefigures uh, the German uh, metahistorian Oswald Spangler by several decades, too, when he wrote uh, what's commonly translated as uh, the decline of the West in the wake of World War One.
2: Yes, that's right. Um, <clears throat> it was um, I think it was something that was very much in the air. Uh as I say, it, it, it's the, the the idea that you could um, submit the development of cultures to a naturalistic um, a scientific um, explanation was was very much in in in, in accord with the the nineteenth century attitude towards science and um, and nature. And I think yes, uh, Leontiev is an interesting forerunner of all these people, really, because uh, he, he 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 predates them all, actually. And um, although, of course, having said that, you can go back further, the people like Auguste Comte in France, even Hegel, um, who fed into Leontiev. So it's a continuous process, really. But uh, yes, you're quite right. The likes of Spengler and Sorokin came after him, and in many ways whether consciously or unconsciously, built on the kind of work that he was he was doing.
0: Now, we did talk about Leontiev's uh, conversion experience and how he converted to a very, you know, severe form of orthodoxy. But uh, you do uh, spend some time in the book explaining kind of like how his religious views did kind of evolve, including even towards the Catholic Church kind of. Because at first he kind of adopted kind of almost like the typical Orthodox hostility, but then he even becomes even more ecumenical towards the Catholic Church, while still remaining Orthodox, of course.
2: Yes, it's an interesting thing to speculate on on where Leontiev would have ended up if he, if he'd lived a little longer. He he died at sixty. He wasn't an old. He wasn't that old, although he was he was chronically ill for much of the last part of his life. It's he was definitely heading. In in the direction of Rome, that's pretty clear. Partly it was under the influence of of Vladimir Solovyov and his ecumenicalism. But also I think um, it was was a factor of disillusion in Deontay's mind with the state-run Russian church. He he felt it was too subordinate to the, the, um, the Russian state the procurator of the Holy Synod being in charge of it, uh, a lay civil servant, Um, he saw the Pope and the the Roman faith, actually, I think, as a better bulwark against the kind of uh, liberal ideas that he feared would disrupt Russian culture So I I think he was definitely heading in that direction. And the interesting thing about his faith, of course, is that although he was and professed a severe form of orthodox asceticism, in fact, there were many other features in his his faith, a strong Islamic element um, in particular. Um, Also, there was a dualistic element of the kind you see in, in the in the dualism of Zoroastrian and and Manichaeism. And there was even the Buddhist element, um, particularly after he discovered Schopenhauer. So he he was a very complex man, and he had very complex notions. And it is very difficult to say with certainty that he was this or that or the other. Um, My own feeling is that he would have converted to Rome, actually, had he lived, but that's only a guess on that part.
0: Now, we mentioned uh, Denilevsky uh, just a little bit ago, and uh, he developed his own theory of civilizations, uh, and there was kind of even this debate about whether or not Leontiev plagiarized him, but he kind of engaged in his own little debate with Denilevsky. So, uh, can you elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, Leontiev admired Denilevsky very much all his life. Um, he, He He was, I don't know how he felt when he first read Russia and Europe uh, in in, in 1869 because essentially Danilevsky beat him to the punch. They were working along very, very similar lines. It must have been quite a shock to Leontia to find that that Danilevsky's book had come out. Um, Did he plagiarise? It's a difficult question. Um, He certainly used... Uh, Danielewski's book as a framework for his owner. I have no doubt about that. Um, was it plagiarism? It, I'm not sure. But well, the the great thing about Leontiev, though, is is how he differed from Danyevsky. This is what really makes his work um, significant. And it is this very question of whether uh, racial Slavism should be the way forward for Russia or um, a cultural uh, pan-orthodoxy with a strong Asiatic element, uh, which Leontiev felt would be much more fruitful culturally going forward. He thought that um, a racial pan-Slavism would end up in a a sterile, um, it would have a sterile outcome and be very subject to, to being taken over, actually, by Western influences. Um, so although he, he disagreed with Danielewski on this fundamental point, nonetheless, he did all his life um, maintain that uh, Danielewski was uh, the great forerunner of uh, his own ideas. He he always felt in the end uh, that he was developing Danielewski's ideas uh, in the teeth of criticism from many in the Panslav camp who felt that he was betraying them. He 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 felt completely the contrary, that he was developing them in, in the way that to the end of his life he believed the the Slavists in, in Russia should should have appreciated.
0: Now in addition to his work on civilizations and political uh, polemics he also engaged in, he still engaged in a lot of literary criticism and this even led him to criticize possibly the two greatest Russian writers of the late 19th century Leo Tolstoy and Fyodor Dostoevsky and it's kind of interesting about Dostoevsky cuz you figure they were kind of more or less on the same camp, because Dostoevsky later on in life kind of turned towards a more conservative bent, just like Leontiev. But uh, yeah, could you first explain, like, uh, what was was his criticisms of Tolstoy? And then we could get on to Dostoevsky.
2: Yes, well, Leontiev was never afraid to um, have a go at uh, some of the the greatest icons of the age. We saw it with Turgenev earlier. In fact, the only the only one of the great four that he didn't really fall out with was was Gogol. Um, sorry, Tolstoy. He he really didn't like Tolstoy at all. Actually, um, he 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 felt that he was calling into question most of the fundamental um building blocks of Russian culture, which he, Leontiev, was was keen to defend. In particular, he didn't like his his attitude to faith. Um, and it, it's not so much a question of taking Tolstoy and Dostoevsky successively. It the the objection on Leontiev's part was the same, actually, that they were they, they, they both of them, in his view, missed the essential thing about faith, which was um, a mystical dread of the Creator. He he thought that this this dread would, in the end, bring forth the love of the Creator, and without it, um, that would not happen, and that faith would become something. Uh, akin to social work in Dostoevsky's case, or indeed Marxism in, in Tolstoy's. And when you when you read some of the things that people like Lenin said about Tolstoy, it's possible he wasn't too far off the mark there. Um, but certainly the, the doctrine of love that Dostoevsky um, brings out, particularly obviously in the Brothers Karamazov and the, the, the legend of the Grand Inquisitor. Um, and uh, Tolstoy brings out in some of his short stories, in particular the parable I mentioned in the book of the fallen angel who is sent to earth by God because he refuses to let a woman die as God has said he should. And um, God tells him to go down there and find out what men lived by, and the angel comes back and says, well, they live by love, which is what he was sent down for in the first place, if you see the point of view. Anyway, I, I think his mystical, ascetic view of, of faith came into an absolute collision with this more, well, what he called rose-tinted view um, um, put forward by, by Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. I think that's a debate that could go on forever, actually. Um in the end i guess you pay your money and you take your choice which one you want um but they they're not entirely compatible entities that's obvious
0: yeah it sounded like that uh leontiev was kind of criticizing them for uh being overly sentimental in a way yeah is that true
2: yeah. sentimentalism yes i suppose that's uh, that's that's true yes yes if, um, the idea of um, universal brotherly love as postulated by Dostoevsky, he just didn't believe it in it. Um, he, he just didn't believe it was a reliable basis for faith or for human interaction. Um, it didn't have the elements of mystical dread uh, at its basis, which Leontiev, I think, basing himself very largely on his own experiences of, a very passionate nature that had to be curbed um, by something. And he found um, this mystical face to be that thing.
0: Yeah. And that kind of leads us into our next question, because we talked about Zolonyev, and Zolonyev, even in his uh, uh, philosophy, even though he's kind of considered like, one of the greatest Russian philosophers of the 19th century and even of all time. But even in his uh, discussions of nationalism, he kind of resorts to this kind of sentimental brotherhood of man. And Leon kind of had a love hate relationship with him where he both greatly admired the work of Zolonia, but he also was very critical of it. And could you elaborate on that?
2: Yes. He, uh, he, he, admired Soloviev very much, uh, both as a thinker and indeed as a, as a man. Um, it's probably not going in too far to say that he was actually in love with Soloviev for a long time. Um, yes, it was, in the end, it, it, curiously, uh, Soloviev's ecumenicalism and his, his leaning towards Rome is what um, actually made Leontia fall out with him. Though, as I said earlier, curiously, um, it, it wasn't long after that that, that uh, Leontiev himself had a rethink, and and he himself um, had a tendency to to look to Rome as, as the possible future. Um, yeah, I think it was... I think that possibly the greatest influence, though, that Solovyov had on Leontiev was... He put into his head this idea that um, a new Constantine the Great might arise at some point, put himself at the head of the Russian state and the Orthodox Church, and create a a new cultural future for Russia in much the same way that Constantine the Great had put himself at the head of the Catholic Church and set in train a process which eventually uh, came to fruition, although a thousand years later, in the European Renaissance. Uh, and and Leontiev at the very end of his life, under the influence of Solovyov, believed this might be the way in which a new Russian Renaissance could be achieved. Um, so I think Leonty, uh, Solovyov sorry, had, a, had a great influence on Leontiev. Um, even though, as as had been the case with others, um, in the short term at least, there was a a considerable falling out. Although actually, um, many of Leontier's more negative statements about Saul only came really in the last weeks before his death. So it is possible that um, his mind... Um, was by that time affected
0: by, by his last illness. And you mentioned his death, and he died in 1891, correct? Yes. Yeah, so what was his more immediate legacy or impact in Russia after his death, uh, particularly as we get closer to the Russian Revolution? You even raised the possibility he may have been an influence on Stalin. Yes,
2: Um his immediate uh, impact was very small. Actually, after he died, uh, the only the only two people who themselves made an impact on on Russian letters that's um, Vasily Rozanov and Lev Tikhomirov. Um, they they were the only two people who really took up his um, his cudgel, as it were. Um, there were there were a number of, of, of lesser known people, disciples of his, who kept his his memory alive. But um, really, from then on until the revolution and past the revolution, he gradually became a discredited and forgotten figure for a long time under the Soviet regime. the The interesting thing about about Stalin is that um, I think it was in eighteen eighty six. Papyedonostsev, the procurator of the Holy Synod, bought 60 copies of a compendium of Leontiev's articles for use in seminaries. Now, it's almost certain that one of these books went to the, cemetery, the seminary in Tiflis, Tbilisi, where a Stalin um, attended as a student for five years. Um, It's just interesting to speculate as to whether Stalin may have come into contact with Leontief's ideas. In my book, I build on work done by a Dutch um, professor, Eric Van Rie, who looked at Stalin's uh, early work before he became um, what he later became um, while he was still a revolutionist and saw in them uh, a strain of organic thinking Which you were talking about earlier, which he, which Van Rie felt um, was in the tradition of Danilevsky and Leontiev. Van Rie gives the primacy here to Danilevsky. But I do wonder, and one can only speculate, whether, if in fact Stalin was influenced by this organic view of the world by either Danilevsky or Leontiev, it might might quite possibly have been Leontiev. Because of this um, decision by S- the Proprietor Minister to distribute his work to seminaries, um, it's an interesting idea. It's speculative. It will probably never um, be determined um, one way or the other. Um, now, I think uh, Stalin would have made pretty sure that there was no link there between him and a chap who was one of the, under the Soviet view of the world, one of the darkest reactionaries of the late 19th century. So um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a thought, but it, 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 it's no more than that.
0: Now, what relevance does uh, Leontiev have for contemporary Russia, and maybe even the wider world uh, today, in your opinion? Well, I think his relevance is huge, actually
2: because uh, you said earlier uh, something about um, Leontiev being worth a 100 professors or, or, or something. Um, I think uh, a close reading of Leontiev um, gives you as good an insight into the Russian way of thinking as, as anything, actually, and better, better than a lot. Um, this, when, when we look at Putin's Russia today, um, you can see the tension between Russia as a Western European state and Russia as a a world of its own to the east of Europe. Um, this old uh, debate between the Westernizers and the Slavophiles is still going on, um, and Leontiev, of course, is right in the centre of that. Um, so so I think for an understanding, I mean, so many people look at Putin and they think, well, oh, what is going on in this man's head? And um, really, uh, Leontiev is, is, a, is a good way into it. Um, I think there's another issue as well for us, actually, that it struck me for, for a while that there are striking similarities between the intellectual atmosphere in late 19th century Russia and indeed in the, the atmosphere in the West. Today, Um, particularly the emergence of a a rather intolerant strain of liberalism, um, intolerant of dissent, um, uh, a feeling that if, if existing structures can be swept away, then newer and better ones will somehow rise of their own. This was very strong in Russia in the 19th century. And I think it's strong enough in the West today. And I think Leontiev acts as a kind of sanity check on, on these ideas. He, he says to us, well, maybe, but maybe not, think about it. And I think if, if he can get people today to think about these things, then he will have done us all a good service.
0: Do you have any other uh, concluding thoughts uh, that you wish to make at this moment? Not
2: particularly. I think uh, that was very useful, Stephen. Thanks very much. Um, it's my first Zoom, so uh.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, I think I've taken up enough of your time. So, uh, what are you working on uh, now?
2: Well, um, I mentioned earlier that there were two people who taken forwardly on to ideas. One was Vasily Rosanov. Um, I've been more interested in the other one, actually, Lev Tolstoy. Um, he's an interesting character. He was a revolutionist in his day. Uh, he was he was part of the People's Will group that assassinated the Tsar Alexander II in, in 1881. <clears throat> but later he fled. He fled abroad following the assassination. He later petitioned the. Um, new to let him return to russia which they did and he became a staunch monarchist and defender of orthodoxy so he's he's quite an interesting character so i've been taking a look at him and we'll see what comes of that
0: well this has been a very fascinating interview thank you for coming on to the new books network
2: okay Stephen, so thanks very much for having me
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the new books network i am your host steven Sakevich of the russia and eurasian studies channel until next time